0: When I consider thy heavens the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained, what is man that thou art mindful of him, and the Son of Man that thou visitest him, for thou hast made him a little lower than the angels and hast crowned him with glory and honor, and Lord, those, those verses just they stagger me, crowned him with glory and honor. And, as the psalmist said, Who who are we that you even think of us? When we consider the heavens, when we look up and we recognize the majesty, the greatness and the power of our God, the creator of all things, the one that spoke everything into existence and breathed the breath of life into our lungs, Lord, who are we that you would be mindful of us? We seem so small compared to the vastness of the universe, yet. We are so important to you, important enough to you that you sent your son to die in our place for the payment of our sin. We praise you, God, and we thank you for your goodness and your concern, your care, uh, the consideration, the, the mercy, the grace that you pour into our lives, Lord. We are eternally grateful, and I do pray, Father, that as, as we open up your word this morning that you would minister to us, that you would speak to us, encourage us. In whatever area we need, Lord, we we realize that we need you, so give us more of yourself as we explore your word, as we study, as we set ourselves upon uh, learning more of you today, God, please. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. 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 Good morning. morning. Welcome. For those of you that have returned from illness, praise God you're back and feeling better now. I know we've been hit pretty hard here in the fellowship, but you know... uh, God sees it all, He knows it all, and He's cared for you, He's cared for us, and He loves you, and He is very, very, very interested in your life because He's purchased it. Family, we are uh, returning to Acts chapter 9 this morning, and tonight's message from the same verses as last week, verses 9 through 18, standing with Jesus and we've been looking at the life of Saul, of course, the Apostle Paul. Saul became Paul upon his conversion. And as we, as we look at Paul's life, and as we contrast that with who he was before he came to Christ, it seems like life before his coming to Jesus seemed a bit easier seemed a bit easier and he was a very esteemed man you know he was honored by by the jewish people but when he came to christ and the reality is this you know before he came to christ actually there was a, an extreme difficulty in his life that others that surrounded him didn't see they couldn't see because they couldn't see his heart they saw that this religious man who who did everything it seemed in their eyes as properly and and wonderfully according to the Jewish religion. But the difficulty in his life is that he was kicking against God. And Jesus told him that. He said, it's hard for you. It's hard for you to kick against me. And we know that, don't we? Isn't life more difficult when we kick against God's will for us? So in 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 that sense, we can relate to the Apostle Paul. But after he he came to Christ, and we're going to study some of these passages or at least read some of them tonight or this morning, um, it, it seems as though his life got a little bit more difficult or a lot more difficult. And it caused him a couple of things. Number one, to grow in the knowledge of Jesus Christ to put his faith in his Savior, Jesus Christ, to trust in Jesus. And of course, when we examine Paul's life, we see that he had to stand with Jesus. He had to, as we have to too, because we go through stuff in our lives, don't we? I mean, every one of you in this room, you could probably stand up and say, this is what I've gone through, this is what I'm going through. And I pray it's all to the glory of God and to your blessing and to your growth. So God used these things in Saul's life and in Paul's life to bring him to that place of dependence upon his Savior, Jesus Christ. Well, let's read verses 7 through 19, 18 once again. Acts chapter 9. "...and the men which journeyed with Saul stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no man. And Saul arose from the earth, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no man." But they led him by by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And he was three days without sight, and neither did eat nor drink. And there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him said the Lord in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Behold, I am here, Lord. And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the street which is called Straight, and inquire in the house of Judas for one called Saul of, of Tarsus, for behold, He prayeth. And he had seen in a vision a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard by many of this man how much evil he hath done to thy saints at Jerusalem. And here he hath authority from the chief priests to bind all that call on thy name. But the Lord said unto him, Go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel, for I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. And Ananias went his way and entered into the house, and putting his hands on him said, Brother Saul, the Lord, even Jesus, that appeared unto thee in the way as thou camest, hath sent me, that thou mightest receive thy sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost, and immediately there fell from his eyes, as it had been scales, and he received sight forthwith, and arose, and was baptized. Last week we looked at this man named Ananias and learned that Ananias was used by God even though initially, as we just read, he was afraid. He was afraid to help Saul because this Saul had a reputation. A murderous reputation. But he laid hands on him in obedience to what God asked him to do, and Saul's vision was restored. So God used Ananias in Saul's life to help shape him into the man that God designed him to be. And God used Ananias' obedience to help bring the gospel around the then known world. Ananias was important to God. And last week's theme was, you, that's us, you are important to God. And what we learned is that the smallest steps of obedience lead to a greater work. Shared a couple of examples how it took thousands of workers to build Solomon's temple, but every single person provided the necessary steps that contributed toward its completion. And the same with you the opportunities that god gives to you to do these things to bring the light of christ to others to bring the love of christ to others to use the word of god to pray every single one of those things is a building block of salvation for another person and every witness no matter how lord large or small you think it might be it counts in the big picture Every time that you have embraced to share the love of Jesus with another, it counts in the big picture. Every time you have shared the Gospel, it counts in the big picture. You see, God uses human instruments in the conversion of every individual. And you know what, family? He's using you too. To be loved. To be the love of Christ. The light of Christ. To bring truth into people's lives. You may not even recognize the Uh, the results of that, and that's okay. In fact, it's probably good because we can become a bit haughty and proud in that. But you know, God promises to provide an increase as you are faithful, just like Ananias was faithful. And look what happened. Saul got saved. And becoming Paul, the gospel spread around the world. You see, if we lose sight of the importance that you and I have, then we can tend to overlook the peace that we are in the body of Christ. You are important. Well, what, what can we do? Uh, we can Certainly we can pray for our loved ones, right? We all need prayer. There's people in your life, in your family, that, that you need to be praying for, that perhaps are being deceived by the world in some way. Perhaps they're not walking with the Lord. Maybe they've walked away from the Lord. I don't know. But God knows the needs. So are you praying for your family? Are you praying for your friends? Are you praying for your acquaintances or neighbors? Are you praying and asking God who you need to pray for? And you know, God is so incredibly wonderful. When I ask him, or Jackie and I both, God, who should we pray for, you know? God places people on our heart. And we don't need to know the circumstances, do we? God knows them. All we need to know is God has placed that person right here. And I'm going to pray. God, your will be done. I don't know what's taking place. I don't know what's going on. I don't know if they're in difficulty or trial. I don't know. Maybe they just need encouragement. God, send an encourager. So just pray. Well, that was last week. So we talked about Ananias, and this week I want to talk more about Saul, and from here I'm going to refer to him for the most part as Paul, because we're speaking post-conversion. I want you to notice how Jesus refers to him in verse 15. He called Paul a chosen vessel. And Jesus also told Ananias the purpose for Saul's conversion, first to bear Jesus' name before Gentiles, to bear witness of Jesus to kings, literal kings, and also to the children of Israel. And second, you know, that one sounds, this is really good stuff, this is glorious, he's going to do all this stuff. But look at the next verse, to show him how many things he must suffer for Jesus' namesake. Rather than Saul continuing as a persecutor and inflicting suffering on others, Jesus said, I'm going to show him how he must suffer for preaching the very doctrine that moved him to persecute others. God isn't using this as a threat. He never threatens us. He's using this as as the reality. And it's a reality, family, that, that you and I face too. You know, as Saul, it seemed as though his life was, or Paul, Saul, seemed his life was great before he came to Christ. And when he came to Christ, well, we just shared this at the beginning, life seemed to get difficult. But you know what? His salvation was secure. And whatever takes place here is nothing compared to the glory of God that we will experience before the throne of God in Jesus Christ. And I think we can see a bit of Saul in each of us, in ourselves. Because if you were anything like me, you fought against the gospel. Do you remember that? As did Saul. And maybe not quite as vehemently as he did, but, you know, rejection of the gospel is rejection of the gospel. And it could look like this. I, I just don't want to hear that. Or I'm tired of hearing that. Or just closing your ears. Right, that's rejection. We kicked against the gospel, as did Saul. We mocked those that shared the gospel, as did Saul. But now that we've come to Christ, what happened? We now fight for the gospel. God has made a change in us. Why do we fight for the gospel? It's because we know it was the gospel written upon our hearts that saved us and brought us to Jesus and now we know something about the gospel that we didn't know before, and that is good news. It's the good news. It's the great news. It's magnificent news that God has gone ahead in His, in His, <clears throat> in His sovereignty and set His, sent His Son to die on a cross for me and for you, that we would have a future and that we would have a hope. Well, Jesus calls Paul a chosen vessel. A vessel of choice to be used by God, exactly the, the, the vessel that the Lord desired for his purposes, for God's purposes in that moment in history. And Paul was chosen in several ways. Number one, he was chosen a chosen vessel religiously. He was raised in a religious home he was brought up around the Old Testament Scriptures and he was ultimately trained by the, the foremost of rabbis in, the, in that particular time in history, a man named Gamaliel. And all of this leading to Paul becoming a Pharisee. And you might say, that's a tough start. It wasn't for him. He stepped right into it. He stepped right into the Jewish religion and as a man of religious esteem and hierarchy. but see, God used it because he knew how the Jews thought. He knew what they thought. He knew how they viewed the scriptures. He knew their traditions, he knew their worship. He knew and understand their sacrificial system, and he knew the difficulties that anyone would face in reaching them with the gospel. And with that, he also possessed a great love for the Jewish people. So he understood them. He, had, he wrote this in Romans chapter 9, verses 2 and 3. He said that I have great sorrow and continual grief in my heart, for I could wish that I myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my countrymen, according to the flesh. And you know, when I read that, to me it, it, it seems inconceivable, not in a doubting way, but in a way of amazement. To me, it sounds like Paul, if it was possible that he would exchange his salvation if it meant that his countrymen might be saved. He's grown close to the Jewish people that he's taken on God's heart for them. He had an acute awareness that people are going to perish apart from Jesus, and his heart broke for the Jewish people. It caused a great heaviness, and he called it a continual sorrow. This was always part of him, always on his mind. So he was a chosen vessel religiously, but he was also a chosen vessel. Now, these are the building blocks of of his life. He was a chosen vessel educationally. You see, for his calling, the Lord needed a man that knew the Hebrew Scriptures... But also one that would take the gospel to the Gentiles, and not only understood the Jewish world, but he understood the, the Gentile word as, world as well. He said this in Romans eleven thirteen: "For I speak to you Gentiles, inasmuch as I am the apostle of the Gentiles." And I magnify that office. Well versed he was in the Greek culture, in the way the Greeks thought, and in their philosophy. Now be reminded that that Paul was not born in Israel. He was born to Jewish parents in Tarsus. Acts 22, verse 3, he said, I am verily a man, which am a Jew, born in Tarsus, a city in Cilicia ye brought up in this city, Jerusalem, at the feet of Gamaliel, and taught according to the perfect manner of the law of the fathers, and was zealous toward God, as ye are all this day." Now, Paul's parents, although Jewish, were also Roman citizens. And this would become, we're not going to get into this today, but it would become a very, very powerful defense for Paul as later he would seek his rights as a Roman citizen. So he was a chosen vessel religiously, a chosen vessel educationally. Again, these are building blocks, but he was also a chosen vessel abroad. He wasn't afraid to travel. He would freely travel on missionary journeys through the Roman Empire. Now, before Paul became a Christian, we see these as the building blocks that, that God used to fashion him into who he would become. The attributes that Jesus used are very, very specific. Again, a thorough knowledge of the Scriptures, advanced rabbinical training, His Roman citizenship, well-versed in the Greek and Gentile culture and thinking. So he had to be more than a Jew in order to reach the Gentile people. And not only that, the, the Jewish religious hierarchy that he was formerly a part of, they had to recognize his superior knowledge of the Scriptures, his adherence to the religious laws, his Jewish pedigree. He talked about these. I'm from the tribe of Benjamin. And all these things added up to a Pharisee, a man of influence, a man that was esteemed by men, a man of power and respect. And all of that God used and chose for the Jews to listen to him, at least in part, in declaring Jesus as Messiah. Now tell me God doesn't have a plan. All these things in Saul's life, God says, I'm taking this, I'm taking this, I'm taking this, and I'm putting it all together. I'm going to make you into the person that I want you to be. And let's face it, Saul had been prepared for this long before he came to Christ because God was working in him, and we might say behind the scenes. And really, people didn't see this as something that God was contributing and using. But you know what was true of the Apostle Paul? You know what, family? It's also true of you. True of each of us in in areas of ministry, in our neighborhoods, in your places of work or in your home, in your family and in the situations where the Lord has called you to serve. God has a plan. A plan and He has started it long ago. Long before you even came to Him. He was working in you. And it's fascinating to me that after we've come to Christ, after we've received the new birth, we can look back at the puzzle pieces of our lives that we previously didn't seem to make a lot of sense to us. You know, maybe you've been through some difficulties in the workplace or human relationships, whatever it might be, persecution, pain, injury, whatever. And you didn't at the time understand that God had his hand on you. He had his hand on the thermostat, so to speak. He knew when to turn up the heat. He knew when to turn down the heat. And at the time, it's like, no, this is just painful. This is hard. In part, of course. Not all life is hard. But then you can look back and say, Ah, now I see. Now now I see God is making some sense. He's taken these puzzle pieces that, that seemed so random and remote and un, not understandable and he's put them together and they're making sense. And you realize that God has not only prepared you for salvation, but he's also prepared you for sanctification. Set apart for his use as Saul was. And that's what God has done in us. He has prepared us to serve Him in whatever area of service He's called you to. And we can look at the scripture of Romans eight twenty eight that you're familiar with, and it says, "For and we know, and and we know this because number one, the scriptures say, but you've learned it through experience that this thing that I thought would never be, be a contributor to my life in any positive way, God says, we know that all things." work together for good to them that love God, to them that are, who are called according to his purpose. His purpose. God's saying, That's, I'm working all this together for good. And we see in the Apostle Paul how God was able to take all that he was before becoming a Christian and then working them together for good into the glory of God. Even all the failures of his past, as we have failures from our past, all, all of the, what Saul went through is, is sinful. Things like we've gone through that have been sinful. All of that failure, and we've all failed in many areas of our lives, all the failure made Paul into a worshiper, a worshiper of God because he began to see and recognize and apprehend the grace of God on his life in the mercy of God, that God extended to him so freely and wonderful, wonderfully just like he does for us. And I'm certain when he was named Saul doing what he was doing, he would have never realized that God is going to use me in a completely different way. And you know what? He was a, a perfect vessel that God shaped to bring that message of grace to the Jews and to the Gentiles. You know, sometimes we can look back on our life and before we were saved, and, and I've done this, and perhaps you have too, and said, Oh, that was such a waste. I wish I hadn't wasted all those years and had become a Christian long before I actually did. But let me say this it is very clear in Saul's life, and I pray it's becoming clear to you if it's not clear already that they are not completely wasted. God used them. When we surrender to God, He uses much of the experience from our past and what we learned to make us into a vessel of honor in order to be used by God. You see, God has established a living testimony in your life. Not simply to use elements of your past to be used as building blocks for the person you become, but to share with others how God has changed you. I'm not who I was. I'm not who I'm going to be because God is continuing his work in me and I'm so thankful that he doesn't just take his hand off me and say that's enough. No, he continues to use me. He continues to lead us use lead you and me through this process of life. Using trials, we're going to talk about that in a minute, but whatever circumstances that God designs into our life to shape us and to sanctify us and to make us holy and cause us to cry out to Him in faith and in trust that He knows what He's doing. And like Paul, through our life before Christ, we've learned something about people along the way too, right? We've learned a lot about ourselves. We've learned how damaging sin is. And we see, you know, especially as believers, we see the devastation of sin all around us. But what a great opportunity God has given us as those that are sanctified for his use, chosen vessels as Saul was or Paul was to bring the good news to others. This is this is what my life was like before and praise God he has changed me. He has removed this, he's added this. He's added richness and beauty. And praise to my life. He's taken me from a a path that was set on destruction, and I didn't even know it. But now I can look back and say, that's where I was headed. But now I know where I'm headed. And I'm heaven bound because of Jesus Christ. You know, we've learned to have compassion on sinners. And, And at least for me, that's taken some time even after I came to Christ, because... You know, when I first got saved being very zealous and whatever you want to call me, (laughs) it wasn't pretty. And it's like the the message, and I never use these words, but in essence it was turn or burn, you sinner, right? But now God has seasoned my heart and he's tempered my heart. And I still go through those times, believe me, but that's my flesh, not making excuses for myself, believe me. But when I walk in the Spirit, I can look around and say, you know, they really need to know Jesus Christ. I need to pray. I need to be an example. I need to be a witness. I need to share the truth. Because God has worked that compassion in my life. In fact, I I pray for compassion because I'm really not a compassionate person. I wish I was. Some of you are very compassionate. I'm married to a very compassionate person. And I need that. But God, that's one of the things that He's working on in my life, that, that I would have compassion enough not to get angry with people, but motivated by the love of Christ. You know, Dave shared this morning, rooted and grounded in the love of Christ. That's where I need to be. Well, that's what God did with, with Paul. And he, he does that in us too. Now, look with me at verse 15 again. So God would use Paul to bear his name before the Gentiles. And we're going to see this through the book of Acts, but also to bear his name before kings. Acts 26, when we get there, should the Lord tarry, he ministers and witnesses to King Agrippa. That's the good news. And we know Paul, his heart's desire was to witness to the Jews. And of course, as the apostle to the Gentiles, yes, he had some opportunities, but the Jews didn't really receive him all that great. As we know. But nonetheless, Jesus also told Paul something else in verse 16. Once again, he said, For I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. You know, I'm thankful, and maybe you are too, that God doesn't show us in advance what we would encounter as Christians before we became Christians. He knows what we can handle. And God knew what Paul could handle. And he shared everything with Paul in that room in the house of Judas. And as we look at the life of Paul, we know that he experienced exactly what Jesus told him he would experience. And I'm grateful that, that God works in us when we come to Him. And He shows us step by step. And yes, we encounter things, right, throughout our Christian life. And there's difficulties and so on. That, and I'm, I'm really thankful God didn't let me know in advance. I remember when we came to Christ, Jackie and I, and it became like World War III in some of our family members. And I'm really thankful God didn't tell me that in advance because I never, ever want to turn away from him. But he gave us the grace to, to walk with him. He stood with us. We stood with him through probably three and a half years of that war. And it was hard. And you've gone through hard things too. But you know what? Jesus carries you through them. His grace is sufficient for you. His strength is perfected in your weakness. Bring your weaknesses to God and see how He uses it. Well, some of Paul's experience in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, it tells us this in verses 22 and 23. He said, Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they the seed of Abraham? So am I. Are they ministers of Christ? And I speak as a fool. I am more. In labors, more abundant. In stripes, above measure. That's a good whipping. 39 stripes. In prisons, more frequent. In deaths, oft or often. Of the Jews, five times received I 40 stripes, save one. Thrice, I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned, thrice I suffered shipwreck, a night and a day I've been in the deep, in journeyings often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils by mine own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and painfulness, in watchings Often in hunger and and thirst, in fastings, often in cold and nakedness. Beside those things that are without, that which cometh upon me daily, the care of the churches. And you know, God gave him a preview of this, in the street called Straight, in the house of Judas. And Paul said, "I'm out." No, no, he didn't say that. He said, "You can count me in." And he considered it a privilege to do so. And as Paul walked with the Lord for over 20 years when he wrote to the church at Philippi from his prison cell, and mind you, you read through the prison epistles, you will never find one instance of him complaining about his circumstances. He'll share some of them with you or with us, but he never once complains. In fact, the book of Philippians called the, the Epistle of Love. My goodness, what a guy, what a man of God. But here's what he said in Philippians chapter 3, verses 5 through 10. And he speaks of some of his credentials. He said, I was circumcised the eighth day, right on schedule. The stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin. These are are things that he once considered so important. A Hebrew of the Hebrews as concerning the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal. He was so zealous, I was persecuting the church. "...touching the righteousness which is in the law, I was blameless." That's who he was. And then he said, "...but what things were gained to me, those..." And those are the things he considered gain. "...but those things I counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things." And do count them but dung or rubbish, that I may win Christ and be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. And I love this. And this is after he's been walking with the Lord for decades, that I may know him. What a heart! That I might know him. And the power of the, his resurrection. In the fellowship of his sufferings. And he said, those things made me conformable unto his death. And I read that, and it's like how important it is for us as Christians to have a proper perspective of our Christian life. You see, the wider the gap, between our expectations of God in our Christian life and what God actually promises to us this side of heaven, if that gap is great, the more we're going to struggle thinking perhaps, I didn't deserve this. God isn't being fair with me. God, I'm walking with you. I'm born again. I'm being used by you. But you see, God never promised that there wouldn't be hard times, did He? When a Christian hits hard times, there can be a temptation to blame God or accuse Him of unfairness. Maybe you feel that way sometimes. And I'd say this I've shared this with you before God is unfair. (gasps) He did not give me what I deserve. He did not give me what I deserve. I deserve separation. I deserve condemnation. And He has given me life. He's given me life more abundant and I don't deserve it. My God is not fair in that respect. And I thank Him for that grace. You know, Jesus told us what to expect. In John 16, He said, These things have I have spoken unto you that... In me, you might have peace. Thank you, Lord. In the world, you shall have tribulation. But be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. Notice the contrast in that verse between in me and in the world. In me, you might have peace, meaning that you will hold on to, you will possess, and you will have the peace that Jesus gives. But in the world... And he makes no bones about this. He didn't say, well, maybe you'll have a little bit of difficulty. No, he said, you shall have tribulation. In Christ, Jesus is saying, in me there is peace. In the world, what is there? Tribulation. Look around. There's tribulation. In me, and this is key, in ourselves, we have nothing. But in Christ, we have everything that we need. And yes, we shall have tribulation. And the word tribulation, I've shared this with you before, the Greek word is thalipsis, meaning there's some pressing taking place on your life. There's some, some squeezing, some anguish, and in fact, in some ways, some crushing. And that word thalipsis is a word that's used to describe the process for making olive oil. You know how to make olive oil? You squeeze the oil right out of them. You press them and press them and press them until that oil comes out under pressure. Are you being squeezed right now at all? Or by the Lord? Is there there something taking place that maybe you don't quite understand, but you know there's something going on here right now. It doesn't feel real good. But you know what Paul said? He said in Romans 5.3, he said we are to glory in tribulation. We're to glory in that, that pressing, that philipsis, so to speak. It's the same word that used to describe Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Why are we to glory in the crushing and the pressing and the pressure and the squeezing and all the things? It's because from it there's something that flows. As oil flows from olive oil flows from an olive. Well, We know that oil, in God's Word, is symbolic of the Holy Spirit. So the Spirit of God has become more evident, more real in us when we go through these things. And we need to stand with Jesus in them. We can't stand on our own. Otherwise, the crushing will crush us. But when you stand with Jesus, He has a purpose for it. That oil that we're speaking of, Paul talked about in Galatians 5. He referred to that as the fruit of the Spirit. God's working in us and through us. The results of the tribulation brings godly fruit from our lives. You know, we know what refining is, I believe. We know what it means to be refined. And we can see how it's accomplished in our lives. Well, let's look at how gold is refined It's being tried in what? Not ice cubes. Fire. Fire. In gold ore for the untrained eye, for me and you, I would say for the most part, looks like any other rock. But to the goldsmith, he would see it as finished. He would see it in its completed state, completely refined and pure. And it gets to that place... From the just any other rock stage to something pure, the goldsmith takes that and he puts it in a crucible and he subjects it to flame to the point where it begins to break down and to melt. And the gold is heavy; it sinks to the bottom. All the junk surfaces to the top. The impurities and they're skimmed off. And what happens? They're discarded. It's of no use. That's repeated six more times. Seven total until the process is complete and the gold is pure just as the goldsmith saw it. This is what happens in our lives too. God refines me. He refines you through the circumstances that He chooses. And sometimes you might think, well, it's my choice. You know what? God lets you make the choice. He's ultimately involved, and for those of us that that belong to Jesus, there's something very beautiful that takes place. God sees us as refined, as as the finished product, and our potential realized. He sees us through the finished work of the cross, and we know that we haven't arrived. Paul said, "I haven't arrived." Of course, we haven't arrived, but we're going to arrive one day. Stay close to Jesus. Stand with Jesus. And work with Him, allow Him to work in you and through you through this purifying process. And it is hard sometimes. You go through trials that show, show you exactly what your heart looks like. And I don't like that. I don't like what God shows me sometimes in my own heart. But I know that if I surrender and commit it to Him, He's going to make a change. And of course, tribulation. We go through these things that, that sometimes to us they seem so foreign, some strange, so strange and unusual. And sometimes we think, it's only happening to me. Guess what? It's not. <laughs> but God knows what's necessary in order to bring us to that place of refining. We go through them. And we need to understand that they are a deliberate action By our goldsmith, our loving God, who loves you enough to refine you, whose thoughts toward you are thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. That's the finished product that God sees in us. So these tribulations, they're, they're not haphazard, they're precise and they are exact. God's in control. So, and I know it's easy, very easy for me to say, well, don't be discouraged in those things. But you know what? What's the enemy's greatest tool? Fiery darts of discouragement, right? Things seem to be going fine. Then something hits you, and of course the enemy's there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. God doesn't really care about you. He's allowed you to go through this. He's allowed you to go through that. And I don't think he even loves you. Yeah, I'm not sure God loves me as much as he should love me. But you know, that's responding to the discouragement of the enemy. And he will discourage. So abide, stand with Jesus, abide in the shadow of his wings, the wings of the Almighty God, trusting in his every move. Because Jesus said, I have overcome that and be of good cheer. And we can be overcomers or, you know, we can be overcome, can't we? And when we feel overcome, Jesus, lead me to that rock that's higher than I am. When my heart is overwhelmed, and he knows when your heart's overwhelmed, you know when your heart is overwhelmed, and where do you bring it? Lord, I just want to bring this to you because I feel like I'm sinking. Help me just set my feet on that rock. So it's a matter of of perspective. These trials are a matter of our perspective and if we examine in our, in our circumstances in the light of the promise that Jesus has overcome, then we will not be overcome. And you know, the, the, the Christian race is the only race in the world that begins from the finish line. We don't fight or race for victory. We fight from victory, don't we? You know, look at David. King David as a young shepherd boy. It took only one shot from a slingshot to conquer this this foe, this Goliath that seemed so insurmountable to everybody else. But not to him. Why? One shot is all he needed. He responded in faith from a place of victory. He's nothing compared to my God. And whatever you're going through, it's nothing compared to the greatness of your God. When Jesus declared, I've overcome the world, He's referring to every single circumstance in your life. He knows about them. He cares about them. He knows every single one. There's not an element of your life that's foreign to Him or is going to be a shock to Him. And when we realize this, that that God has His hand upon us, He's working in us and through us to refine us, to, to actually help us to become more like Him, And we can agree with Jesus when He commands us to be of good cheer. From the Apostle Paul's darkest day in prison, God finally allowed him to go to Jerusalem. And he's thinking, oh, this is the time. They're going to hear me. They're going to receive what I'm sharing. They're going to receive the Messiah. He threw him in prison. We don't want to hear from you. They threw him in prison in probably the most discouraged time in his life. Guess who met him there? Jesus appeared into his prison cell. And he said, he "said Paul, be of good cheer. What? <laughs> be of good cheer. And, and, and the Lord said to him, you testified of me. Now I'm going to get you out of here and send you to Rome. He didn't say, be of good cheer because all those Jews listen to you. He didn't say, be of good cheer because so many people came to me for salvation. No, he said, you be of good cheer because I'm taking care of you. You've testified in me. You've done what I've asked you to do. The results are in my hands. And that's what God's saying to him. And you know what, family? The results are in God's hands. And we can become discouraged with loved ones. They're just not getting it. When are their eyes going to be opened? Or with people that make life difficult for us, what's the matter with them, God? Well, we can look back in our own life and say, "What was the matter with me?" Because I fought just like they're fighting. And He would say to you and to me, "You just be faithful, be of good cheer. You testify me, and I'm going to take care of the rest." And you know, because I can't save anybody, you can't save anybody, I can't change anybody. Believe me, I've tried. And I've fallen on my face so many times thinking that I had some kind of impact. I don't have any impact. But God does. He just calls us to be faithful. Paul was faithful. So Jesus was up front with us. Now, what got Paul through these long decades of suffering? All these things we read about. It was the promise of heaven. It was the reward that he would see in the next life. In his last letter to Timothy, Paul said this. In 2 Timothy 2, verse 3, he said, Thou therefore endure hardship as a good soldier of Christ. I think what he was saying is, Timothy, you're going to, endure, you're going to have hardship. But you need to stand with Jesus in it, and he will help you endure it as a good soldier of Christ. And he, he encouraged Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter four, verses two through eight he said, Timothy, preach the word. And of course, we know that when we share the Word of God, sometimes there's some some backlash isn't there? Mm-hmm. That's why he said... Endure hardship. Well, Timothy, preach the Word. Preach the Word. Be instant, in season. In other words, be ready when those opportunities arise. In season, out of season, reprove and rebuke and exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. Can you imagine if Paul, God bless you, Ruby, if Paul saw what's taking place today in the church. The words that he would give are the exact same words. Preach the word. Be instant in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. The time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lusts shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth. I find that heartbreaking. It says they'll turn their ears away from the truth. The truth is right there, staring them in the face. Say, like, I don't want to hear it. I don't want to see it. Turn your ears from the truth, and shall be turned to fables. Say, but watch thou in all things. Endure afflictions. <laughs> yes. Do the work of an evangelist. Make full proof of thy ministry. And he said, For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but to all them that love his appearing. You know what? That's awaiting you too. A crown of righteousness. And I know when Jesus hands me a crown of righteousness, I would say, this doesn't belong to me. (laughs) Any righteousness that I have is all because of you. It's yours. All to your glory. All to your praise. It all belongs to you because without you I could do nothing. Well, given all this, you know, it's, there's, a, there's a lot here. But enjoy the life that God has given you here. But don't forget, this is not your home. You're on loan. <laughs> you're a loner. <laughs> uh, not, a, not a loner by yourself. I mean, <laughs> I mean, you're on loan from God to do his bidding here. Heaven's our home. And as Christians, you and I, we have a certain destination. So take what God has given to you, what He's given you here, your past, your present, and commit your future to God. Maybe some of you have lost heart in the midst of suffering. Have you? Has anybody here? You don't have to raise your hand. Have you lost heart in the midst of suffering? Well, if so, be reminded of your real home. You are on the way. You're on your way. And Jesus is faithful to get you there. He's faithful. It may not be easy, but it's worth it. It's worth it. You know, Jude, verse 24 and 25 says, Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of His glory with exceeding joy. To the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power both now and ever. Amen. I love this verse 24. He wants to present you faultless before the presence of His glory. You know, I can look at my life and say, I'm far from faultless. But you know what? In Christ, He is going to present me faultless before the presence of His glory. We'll stand before the glory of God, and I don't know what that's going to be like, but I know it's going to be good. It's going to be overwhelming. And Jesus is, His righteousness will be my righteousness, as it is now. And God the Father will look at us as purely righteous and holy, and Jesus will present us faultless. Romans 8.18. We're going to close with just a few Scripture verses here. Paul said, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Isn't that true? Not No comparison is what he's saying. And in 2 Corinthians 4, verses 16 through 18, he said, For which cause we faint not, But though our outer man perish, which it is, yet the inner man is renewed day by day, which it is. Isn't that wonderful? He renews us every single day. And then he continued. And again, the backdrop, think of what he went through. Shipwrecks, the beatings, left for dead, all those things. He said for our light affliction. No, I have light affliction. <laughs> but, but he called his light affliction. And he said, but it's just for a moment. Just for a moment. And it works for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. In other words, it's, God's working that in your life. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal. Yes, they are. But the things which are not seen are eternal. And then to wrap up, Hebrews 12, verse 2. Some encouragement. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. The joy that was set before Him Well, the cross was set before him. But you know what? There was a fruit of his suffering and death. And that brought him joy. You are his joy. You are his joy. He took great joy knowing that because of what he was asked to do, and he did it obediently, laying his life down, suffering a physically brutal death, Suffering separation from his father when he became my sin and your sin, it brought him joy knowing that there's millions and millions and millions of people that I'm going to meet with in heaven because of what God is, my father has asked me to do. It brought him joy. Looking to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, I'm glad he started it and I'm glad he finishes it. He's the Alpha and Omega. He's the beginning and the end. He's the first and the last. He holds everything in between too, doesn't He? So keep the Son of God in your sights. You won't need sunglasses for that. Keep the Son in your sights and stand with Jesus. No matter what you're going through, stand on that rock. Stand with Jesus. He's going to see you through. He's going to carry you to the end. And I praise Him for that. And Father, I thank You that Even through the sufferings of of Paul, we can recognize that there's a Savior that loves us. And I can't imagine, you know, I, I think sometimes, Father, of the things that we go through as Christians, but many of the circumstances in life, apart from Christ, would be so much more difficult They all would be more difficult apart from you. So in this, we give praise to you. Thank you for loving us and for keeping us, for shielding us, for protecting us, for allowing us to go through trials, for allowing us to go through tribulations that we would be refined, that we would be changed, that we would be equipped to do the work that you call us to do. We want to express our love to you and our gratitude To you, Jesus, you went through affliction like no man would ever experience, but had an incredible eternal purpose, and that is the salvation of mankind. And Father, we do want to bring to you this morning, if there's any that that have not yet made that decision for Christ, that today every person would confess with their mouth and believe in their heart that, that God raised Jesus from the dead, knowing that salvation shall come forth. So, Father, please minister. Minister to those that need to know, the need to repent, to turn from sin, to confess their sin to You, and to cry out to You as the only true God, the only God that can forgive, the only God that can cleanse, the only God that can make things right. We thank You for the shed blood of Your Son that has cleansed us from all of our sin. We rejoice in that finished work. We rejoice in the hope that we have and help, help us today, Father. Help us to walk with our God all the days of our life. We thank you for the risen Christ. We thank you for the empty tomb. We thank you for the promises that we have in Jesus Christ, which are all yea and amen, as we consider our lives here, but more importantly, we consider the eternity that lies before us, heaven, a real home. And we praise you for that promise. In Jesus' name, we thank you. Amen. Amen.